Welcome to Becoming a Business, the podcast for anyone wanting to start, build or grow their business. Hello and welcome back to Becoming a Business. It's so good to be here with you again. This week we are talking to Pete Heslop from Steadfast Collective, which is a digital product agency based here in Southampton in the south of the UK, in Hampshire in fact. Now, Pete is running a digital product agency, which is an incredible thing to do. Now, I've, I'm currently working on digital product myself, and it's which is going to be great. I'm going to be honest, hopefully, I say it's going to be great. Hopefully, it is going to be great for people who network, coaches, consultants, and service providers. But getting it right and getting it to work is so difficult, which is why I have so much respect for Pete. I mean... I'm looking at it and I'm going, first I've got to create it, make it work. Then I've somehow got to automate it because creating a digital product where I have to do everything by hand is not really, it's not really viable in the long term. Then I'm going to have to look at outsourcing it, getting other people to chip in and do their bits. Then I've got to find out how to collect all the relevant info, follow up with people, create a sales funnel. All those things that go into creating a digital product are things that, Pete knows all about. But more importantly, Pete also talks about leading a team. And I think that is where like his big strengths are. So there's so much to think about with digital products, which is why having a team is so crucial. Having a great team is so, so crucial. So in today's interview, we talked to Pete about where he got to where he is why and how team is important and the things he does to ensure that his customers are happy with the end product that they provi- that he provides through um, through Stefax Collective. Just before we go to interview, let me remind you to uh, subscribe, rate and review the podcast, particularly on iTunes if you can, because iTunes love it when people subscribe and it shows people, or rather it shows iTunes that people are listening so they can they share it more and more people then hear the product. If you've got one, any questions or got, want to check out anything that we've talked about, go to becomingabusiness.com and all the show notes are there. Please don't try and take notes or anything while you're driving. Just go to the website afterwards. Cool. Anyhow, with no further ado, here is this week's interview. So... Everyone, thanks so much for listening today. We have with us Pete Heslop, who is 26 years old and has been running Steadfast Collective, which is a digital product studio for just under four years now. And so, Pete, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Great to be here. Yeah, Um, thanks for having me. Are you well? I am well, thank you. I'm well. Good. Um, Just so our listeners can find out, can you tell us briefly what Steadfast Collective does? Yeah, so we build digital products which are essentially um websites with a bit more oomph so they might be a um a website uh, a digital application could be something which helps you get a task uh, done or it could help you kind of with your day-to-day life um it's it's, it's a bit more than your kind of standard glossy brochure website uh, it's more about getting things completed and helping you um kind of do more think of like a, an app you get on your phone but for the website so that could be you know facebook is a great example of a digital mm-hmm. product um it's more than just a website there's a bit more to it yeah. and that's kind of where our our heart lies in digital products um we work on websites from time to time but primarily it's it's those kind of 
digital product is where our passions really lie. Oh, nice. Um, and so what led you to start your own business then and go into this area of business? Yeah. Great question. Uh, I mean, you could yeah, work great. for someone else. So Yeah, great question. Well, I, I did. I did work for someone else. Um, so kind of going back to the start, as, as a kid, I would, as a kid being... Um, kind of early secondary school I would tinker with websites and forums and that's where I learned HTML and CSS and I would kind of just be open to this world of I can kind of build stuff um, and it doesn't cost me anything it just cost me time and it was kind of a stage where you could get resources from online and it was like a whole new learning experience for me um, I think being dyslexic school was always something I could do but I was always keen to kind of see what else else was out there and kind of being able to follow tutorials on forums and whatnot on, on how to build a website was always something I loved so um, I did that kind of through through school um, I then left school and, and took a real left turn on, on my career and I ended up going to college for a short time to do technical theatre um, and from technical theatre I, I actually left the course early I ended up working in theatre um, mm -hmm. towards with a few a few bands um, very briefly and kind of realized actually I want to get back to the web um, theatre mm. and super lonely hours. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I then kind of found a job in Southampton with a, a, a website company, essentially helping them do, do support. And um, I would have been 17, um, then maybe slightly younger, maybe kind yeah. of 16. And um, I kind of jumped between, between companies. Um, but during that time, uh, you know, as a kid, I, I always knew that I wanted to run a business. I just didn't know what in. I knew that I wanted to build a team, and I, and I knew that's what my passion lied. I just wasn't quite sure where it lied. And um, I, I've got a friend called uh, Matt Luke, and um, I had this idea. It was I, I was about seventeen, and I had this idea for a, a mobile app, um, which is which was called Clubhub, and essentially it helped people find the best promotions when on a night out. Nice. So we we raised a bunch of money through family and savings and we found a developer and we were kind of 17 at the time. We kind of put everything we could into it and um, essentially we couldn't get off the ground uh, like most mobile apps. We, we spent a year on it and, it and it just didn't really work. So we had this kind of loan we needed to pay off and Matt was working at the time as a designer and I was working as a, a front-end developer and we were kind of like, this is yeah. crazy. We should just be spending our time making websites. So um, at the time I was working for a large dating website down in in whiteley hampshire um as a, as a developer where i got loads of skills and um i basically worked in the evenings we got an office in southampton i i used to go to my job 10 till 6 and then i'd go for to the office from 6 till 10 wow. and we'd work in the evenings yeah. um and then that at that point we had um, a good friend of mine called joe join us um i said there was three of us running this company which was called bright bike Mm -hmm. and um what we did is is we said right i'll, I'll jump first because i was kind of the, the primary dev doing the kind of website stuff then and um, i was kind of least happy in my job so i said i'll jump you guys keep your jobs and then um those guys ended up being fired so we all jumped oh. the same month so we all went from um doing it in our evenings to kind of full-time employment in, in yeah. the same month and it was kind of a sink or swim thing and we mm -hmm. did really well and we we spent four years building that business yeah um and then after four years, I and you know I got married in that time, and they were my best men and ushers and, and whatnot. And then during that time, I said, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm, my heart isn't in design. My heart isn't in 
becoming a design agency. I want to be a digital product agency. So yeah. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to take some time out. I'm going to do some contracting for some time. I'm going to go traveling with my wife. Um, and what I'm going to do. So I left. It was all quite quick. A couple of weeks yeah. later, I was kind of packing up my box, um, landed a big, a big contract, um, did that for some time, went traveling around the world, mm-hmm. came back. And that's when we really started employing people. And now we're an office of seven people. Um, and running digital products and and we're loving it we're we're building them and then we also build them internally for us to then to then yeah. sell and and so on so yeah that's that's basically my that's basically my linkedin profile in a nutshell nice <laughs> cool and you said you are passionate about building teams so what i know this we didn't discuss this beforehand but you've mentioned yeah it, so, um what like what is it about building team that you love and what what makes a really good team? Yeah, that's a great question. So I used to think that I just wanted people to enjoy where they worked. So I've worked in places where I just really hated where I worked. And I just wanted people to not have to go into that. And I think there is a part of that. of I like building an atmosphere of people where they hopefully enjoy coming to work. They feel challenged. But at the same time, they feel like, you know, when it is a, a fairly easy day, we can kind of you know, take the barriers down and, and mm. have a fairly chill day. Um, but it's more than that. It's, I think I like to, I feel like I've got a bit of a knack of seeing something in someone and then yeah. going, I know exactly where I think you can get, let's mm. get you there. So for instance, um, one of our developers, Dan, I I met at a event that we ran, which was like a, a showing of a, a developer thing. Um, and I thought he's really smart. I he was a student at the time. I was like, I wanna, I wanna work with him more. And then for a drink, and then I think the next time I spoke to him, I offered him a job. So it was that kind of I, I've got that kind of knack of I kind of see someone I want to employ and kind of go after that. And I think it's just being able to spot gifting in that person. Um, yeah. And and we have kind of a phrase in here which we stole from Google from the book um, How Google Works, which is which is smart creative, and it's a person who can not just kind of do their thing. So for instance, um, a designer can make a website look pretty, but that designer can hopefully think about the business implications of that design. Well, yeah. we can design a really long page that looks really pretty, but that's going to take longer to build. So it's going to cost them more. So mm. is it really worth it? And it's it's a whole mindset rather than just just their one discipline. It's kind of looking at the business as a whole. And yeah, I love building that team of smart creatives. Um, mm. What was the second part of the question? It was what makes a good team or something, wasn't what it? What makes a great team, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think for me, it's um, I think it's two things. I think it's people being aware of each other's skill set. Yeah. Um, and then trusting that person to deliver. Cool. Um, I think that's, for me, is that's that's my, yeah, that's what I like doing. Yeah. Nice. That- I find pe- people generally thrive on responsibility. Mm. Um so but if you constantly don't give them responsibility then then they haven't got a chance to kind of stand out yeah absolutely so you're not a micromanager then try not to (laughs) (laughs) oh nice that's cool so in terms of growing your business because obviously yeah took some time out you went traveling um yes you had some contacts in the business when you came back but i guess when you came back and started up steadfast collective you were pretty much brand new mm-hmm. starting from scratch mm-hmm. so what's been the biggest challenge in terms of actually growing 
and yeah, getting so, customers and so on. Yeah, so I would have said until recently, our biggest challenge was always hiring. There's a massive shortage in our industry, especially in Hampshire and Southampton, <clears throat> of um, finding talent who are who are, are good and you know don't want to get paid like they're in London or San Francisco. Yeah. Um, so that that was our biggest challenge. Um, we now have the team. I'm really happy with the team mm-hmm. we have, and I think they're great. And I, I think we're kind of we're at capacity of where I think the team should be. So now our biggest challenge now is finding that constant. You know, there's seven mouths to feed. There's seven people's rent or mortgages and so on. So it's all of that. And and it's it's now is that how do we develop a model where we're not just we're hopefully not just chasing the next bit of work, but we're kind of building those partnerships with our clients where they make more money so then they can invest into what they're doing with us. And so we we do have um, quite a few of our clients who are on retainers and it's just kind yeah. of working out, getting that balance of retained work and new work. Mm-hmm. Um, but in regards to when we started, I was really fortunate that I've got, you know, my, my, my advice to most of some people is make friends with people in your industry. There's There's so much work out there that you don't need to be a, a walled garden. You know, I, I think yeah. I know um, probably the owners on a named basis, at least of about 80% of the agencies in Southampton. Um, and we get quite a lot of our work through them. And and it's important that you are sharing resources because, you know, there's similar companies to us in, in the area who don't want projects this size, but they'll be suited to us. Or we don't want projects yeah. that are that big, so we pass them on and we can do that. And I think... For us, we saw a real growth in working with other companies similar to us, but mm-hmm. also um, this is a lesson that that I was taught from by, by Tom Frame, who who runs Etch, which um, yeah. I know you know. Um, and he says basically, just you've just got to be everywhere when you're starting out, and people don't know who you are. You need to go to those random events um, yeah. and and just pester people. So, for instance, I recently um, found out there was a, a fairly digital. Um, a fairly digital focused finance group in Southampton, yeah. which I kind of never heard of. So I dropped the CEO a line, thinking like, yeah, CEO, um, mm-hmm. meant for a cup of tea, um, made it really easy for him. I said, look, I'll come to you. I'm happy to come to you. Don't, yeah. you, know, you don't do anything. When's convenient for you? Make it really easy for that person. Um, and now we're chatting about potentially working together and it's, mm-hmm. it's just being available to people, but being everywhere. Like you, you, you've, You've got to make some sort of noise, otherwise people don't know who you are. Absolutely. So, in terms of business growth, I guess the most the most successful strategy for you has essentially been networking. Would yes. that be fair to say? Yes. Rather than running ad and or anything like yeah, that. we we've tried running ad campaigns. It's it's I don't think it's ever worked for us. Um, yeah. All of nearly all of our work is word of mouth. Um, so not only is it networking, but it's then delivering on what we said we would deliver on, which is obviously kind of key fundamental to business. But yeah, if we can, you know, um, over deliver on what we said we're going to do, then it, you know, it, it works well for us. And we find that quite, a, you know, a few of our, our key clients are fairly influential and can pass work, ends up passing work our way. And, you know, I've got one client that I could probably trace, a good 20% of our revenue from last year back to and you know it's those kind of connections that but yeah ad campaigns have never worked for us we tried no. I've thrown money at it it's, it's never worked <laughs> no fair enough when hiring when hiring ad campaigns worked um so but when not when trying to find work then no no absolutely so did you 
did you hire first almost before you grew or did you grow a little bit and then hire then grow a little bit and then hire yeah so we our first hire um was andre and we needed another developer we were probably at the stage i probably could have managed because at the point at the time i was still doing development yeah um we probably could have managed but he we could have done with an extra set of hands um it's been mostly we've hired because we've need to i mean hiring someone's expensive it's not just their wage there's more way more yeah. to it than that um generally hire when we need to um especially developers designer um we recently hired um sarah our designer who's our first full-time designer and before that we were outsourcing which worked really well we were outsourcing to yeah. a, a fantastic lady um but we felt actually it might not make economic sense to hire right now full-time but mm-hmm. actually we want to up the level of everything we're doing so we're going to force ourselves to hire this person yeah and then we'll work out kind of how to fill their time and we've done yeah. that so far. So, that's been <laughs> so some people I, I, I spot, um, there's another guy, the, 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 the Dan, one of our developers who I met at the, the, the event we ran, who we mm. hired quite quickly. Um, I didn't necessarily have all the work I needed for him, um, mm. but I knew I wanted to hire him. So we did. Nice. That's yeah. cool. That's good. That's a, I like that model of essentially believing in people enough yeah. to, Put your, essentially to put your money where your mouth is the mouth is yeah and and then work out how how you can help them grow and how they yeah. benefit the business it's, it's got to be a calculated it's got to be a calculated risk yeah, yeah. So just, i am um, um you know but you, you can minimize that risk by you could do you know what if you did a, a two-month fixed contract first yeah and then you extended it into full-time or so on um hmm. there are ways of mitigating risk there yeah but, um also if we were stone cold empty and i found the perfect person i probably wouldn't hire them um but yeah it's it's yeah mm. but there is a level of risk there and sometimes it you know in our experience so far it's paid off yeah no, that's good and how do you decide which clients you're going to take and which ones you're going to say no to yeah great um so i'll throw that one in there out of yeah the, <laughs> the client um if they want to change your processes, mm-hmm. generally they're going to be a painful client. So yeah. if you send them something and you're like, well, we work like this, we like to do this workshop, and then we do this, then we do this, and we just, and they go, oh no, we, we want to have, you know, a daily call at two o'clock um, with your entire team, then it's going to be a painful client. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of learning that. Um, the same with pricing. If a client is trying to really negotiate on price, then the likelihood is they're going to be a pain. Um, but often it's, it is sometimes you get a bit of a gut feeling after, after experience, but it is sometimes hard to know what clients yeah. work and what ones you don't. Um, we kind of set some minimums. So mm-hmm. what's this client value going to be to us? Um, that could either be an influence or it could be in monetary value. But yeah, okay. we haven't generally with our, our new website and the way we present ourselves now, we don't generally get any leads which don't match us. Um, and I think that's quite good at being quite upfront. I know that quite a lot of similar businesses to ours, um, on their contact form, they ask budget straight up front and they pay a minimum. So the first budget is 5,000, it goes to a hundred or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that way it instantly rules out your 200 pounds websites, um, yeah. which someone's going to go and use Wix anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Yes, absolutely. So 
what you said there was quite interesting. Since you've changed your website, yeah, most of the people that come through mm-hmm. are essentially qualified leads. Yeah, essentially. Essentially, um, what what were the changes that you made to your website to make that happen? We only offer the services of stuff we really want to do. Okay. So we we really focus on digital products. So before it was really broad, mm. um, and somebody might sort of approach us and be like, "Look, can we do this website with you?" And we're like, "Yeah, that's fine. We'll we can work on that." Um, yeah. But essentially, we only talk about what we are. We basically the whole thing is focused towards our dream client. Everything yeah. we do is focused towards that. Um, and then you kind of get a pool of people around it. Um, but yeah, we, we changed a lot. All the copy was new. The design was new. Um, everything was new. And, and it mm. was, it was really important for us. It was, it was, it was quite a slow process. It takes yeah. longest to work on your own brand. Um, mm. but yeah, it was, it was worthwhile. Yeah, no, that's good. So like really focusing has basically, has that made it easier for you to essentially get more of the right business? I think so. Yeah. Cool. I think so. Because when, because when, because like, like I said, a lot of our work is, is through word of mouth. So they'll either just get a phone number and they'll just call me. And at the same time as they're ringing me, they're probably on our website. Yeah. Um, so it kind of just shows that we are working with bigger clients um, and we have delivered some really exciting products. And I think our website now shows that where before it probably didn't, um, but it's always a chicken egg situation. Like your portfolio is never quite full enough, but then you need your portfolio to be full to then get the clients. And it's yes. a chicken yeah. and egg situation. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, awesome. And how did you, how did you decide what your dream client was? We did a branding exercise. So okay. we so um, Rachel, who is my wife and mm-hmm. co-founder at Steadfast, we yeah. um, sat down and we basically said like who would our dream client be? What's our, what do we want to be doing in five years? What do we want the team to look like? And we did all of that and we spent a long time going back and forward on, on what our um, kind of our clients in our head are going to look like. Um, yeah. And yeah, spent a long time doing it. And we've been fortunate enough that we've done that with a few of our, our clients as well. Um, sometimes we, we get asked to help them with, can you help us shape what our, essentially our, branding and goals are going to look like and we can help yeah. them with that but um but yeah no yeah we did it ourselves and it's a really it's a really hard process and mm-hmm. um yeah so it's even just coming up with like so you, you meet somebody in and they say what do you do and so i run a digital product studio and they say okay like what like what does that mean um yeah. and before depending on the person i was talking to it would always be something different um i would just make it up and yeah. i was really keen that i wanted to get in yeah i wanted to get in um a dna document which rachel and i wrote mostly rachel she's a copywriter um i wanted to be able to get like one line of what we did one paragraph and then one page and it's almost like uh your elevator pitch kind of your slightly longer conversation your long one it kind of describes this so our line is that we want to be building digital products um that change industries that's kind of our industry changing digital products. That's our, our one line. What do we do? That's what we do. Yeah. Um, and that took us ages to nail down. But once mm. we did it, it felt, it felt like we had like opened the curtains. Like it was obvious now, this is what we do. Um, yeah. but it took us so much wondering to get there. Um, yeah. So yeah. Nice. No, that's very cool. I think, I think that's important because if you don't yourself know what you're, what you're doing, then how on earth are you, your your potential clients meant to know what you're doing? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, a lot of the people that I meet are 
struggling with exactly that. Exactly. Yeah. Like just know, knowing how to knowing how to describe what they do in a really concise way. I mean, yeah. it's, it's one thing. It, let's say you sell cleaning products. If you sell cleaning products, you can go, I sell really good cleaning products. But that's not the same as saying, for example, I sell cleaning products that don't need any detergent that lasts a lifetime. Yeah. And that you can clean your whole house without using only water. Suddenly, that's a really narrow, specific yeah. thing. And uh, you've identified a problem and you've solved it in that sense. Yes. Yeah. No, that's really good. That's cool. Yeah. And, and, and the, same, the same should be applied to charities and organizations. It shouldn't be yeah. businesses. Like, what is the point of your charity? Charity Water would say it's to get clean drinking water to the entire world. Um, yeah. Bill Gates would say he wants to eradicate polio, the Bill Gates Foundation. I think so. I yeah. can't remember. So, so, so it's kind of things remember. like, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's quite, it's quite defined and it's quite obvious. Mm. Like this is why we exist. And so, yeah, it's good. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, excellent. Are there, are there any resources you would recommend to people to be able to learn how to do that? Um, I would say that my favorite, that I've got two, business books which i always recommend to anyone and my i call them business books because they're the least businessy books they're my favorite yeah um so one is rework by um basecamp and essentially it's they're they're a project management software and mm-hmm. the, the chaps who wrote it they you know they built this application and they didn't take any vc funding and they essentially talk about how they built their business um and some just real life rules it's so like a great example is as soon as you make everything ASAP, then nothing's ASAP. And it's those kind of things. And it yeah. makes you really think about, you know, once you drag 12 people into a meeting, that's one hour. You've just spent 12 hours of doing a meeting. Mm. And it's those kind of, which I, I really love. Um, it's a great business book. We often send that to clients, that one. It's a great one. Uh-huh. Um, and the and the other one is Intercom's um, Getting Started, I think it's called, um, or Starting Up. And it's a, it's a blue book and they do it in a free ebook and then they also do a physical copy on their website. Um, and in there, it kind of walks through how they identified their clients. You know, what are their customers, how they got their first hundred customers. They would literally just email everybody. And yeah. I think the real lesson there was me is you've got to make it easy for people. So he would literally, so they sell basically this like live chat widget that goes on the website. Yeah. They're yeah. a massive company. They're a massive company yeah. now. And, um, he would essentially, he, he realized that they could do a free trial, but actually someone getting a widget and installing it on a website is actually probably more complicated than it could be. So he would yeah. essentially take a screenshot of their website. He would Photoshop it on and send it to them and yeah. be like, wouldn't this look great on your website? And they'd be like, oh, it's great. How, how do I get that? Nice. And he's like, well, I can add it for you. And, and that was really important for them, just being able to go, what's the easiest thing I can do? Um, so yeah, that kind of goes back to my early thing is, you know, when you want to meet people, you've got to make it easy for them, you know, offer to buy them lunch, go to where they live. Don't ask them for a two hour meeting where you are or, or whatever. You've got to make it yeah. easy for them. So nice. So essentially make it as easy as possible for your client to essentially visualize what you do and to yeah. decide whether you're right for them. I think so. Nice. Yeah. Especially if you're in that product industry. Yeah. Um, like, how is this cleaning product going to make my life better? Well, you don't need yeah. to add water, so you can dash get the sink as often, you know. Yeah. So. Nice. Cool. Excellent. And if people wanted to find out more about what you do, 
Yeah. Where should they go? Okay, so um, our website is steadfastcollective.com um, yeah. and all our social stuff's on there. And personally, I tweet about football and business um, <laughs> and that's just P-W Heslop, P-W-H-E-S-L-O-P. So yeah, that's where I am on the internet. Cool. And that's on Twitter, is it mainly? Yeah, yeah, Twitter, yeah. Nice. Cool. Pete, thank you so much for yeah. this and for spending Great. some time with me this afternoon. Um, yeah, um, yeah, thank you very much. I should no probably worries. get better at ending interviews because... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for your time. Um, no worries. Very helpful. I'll and they should... Pop... Go on. Great. And they should like and subscribe to your podcast. Ah, oh, thank you. Yes, like and subscribe to my podcast. Cool. Perfect. Thank you very much. See you next time. And it's time for another question of the week, which this week comes from Kevin Hernandez. Now, Kevin uses social and digital media to generate positive ROI for his clients. And he accomplishes this through generating high quality, ready to buy leads. And you can find him on LinkedIn and contact him there if you want to chat to him. Anyhow, his question is, what are efficient ways to conduct customer research without paying someone else to do it? It's a great question and actually customer research is so important. Market research, customer research, however you want to call it. Now, the first thing you need to do is find out where your customers hang out online. So, for example, let's talk, I don't know, gardening. So there might be Facebook groups where people who love gardening hang out and talk about gardening type stuff Um Within that, obviously, it's good to find a niche because gardening is quite a large niche or, as they say in America, a niche. Um, And you might find that people who are interested in growing roses are not interested in growing hedges, for example. But if your specialism was growing roses, let's go with that example. So find out where people are hanging out. Find out where the people who grow roses are hanging out and then target them with a very specific question now this is a question that i learned from a book called ask by ryan levesque his surname spelled funny it's l-e-v-e-s-q-u-e so if you're searching for on amazon look up ryan levesque spelt that way but anyhow the question that you want to ask is very simply What is the number one challenge or the number one problem that you face when it comes to growing roses in this example? What you'll find is that a lot of people will answer that because it's people like complaining, people like saying, like telling you their problems. And so people will share their biggest problem. And what you'll find is that actually it is normally three or four main things that will come up every single time that way you can target all your messaging all your marketing to those problems and you'll hit a massive part of the market so you might get people going and forgive me i don't grow roses myself so i don't know what problems there might be but i'm just thinking off the top of my head so you might get someone say i really struggle to keep the roses alive during winter time someone else might say i struggle to keep the roses alive when it's cold that's the same problem. So you can put them in the same bucket, in the same sort of um, category, I should say. Bucket sounds horrible. But yeah, in the same category. The other someone else might say is, 
I struggle to know when to prune my roses to keep them looking really good for the next spring or for the next flowering season. That's another problem that you've got. Someone else might say, I, I don't know how to grow my roses really big. They always seem to come out small. I don't know if that is a problem for rose growers. Maybe you can let me know in the comments if you grow roses yourself. But anyhow, so you ask those questions and what you'll find is that there are a number of questions, that will, a number of problems that will come out. Then you can target your solutions and your marketing to those specific problems, which means that not only are you hitting exactly the right customers, you're hitting them with exactly the right solutions to the problems that they have. So hopefully that will mean that your marketing will be more successful, your customers will be more engaged because you are answering the problems that they have. Um, if you want to find out more about the Ask survey and how to use it properly, it's an in-depth an in-depth strategy. It has a lot of like other little facets you can do to get really in-depth with your customers and to make it really work well. Then buy the Ask book. I will put the link on my on the show notes. So go to the website, which will be becomingabusiness.com forward slash episode three. And uh, yeah, the link will be there. So you can follow that link and get the book if you want to read it. It's superb, a really good book. And the good thing is, is that actually the first half of the book is his story about how he came up with it. You don't need to read that if you don't want to. I did because I found it interesting. But if you don't want to, then just skip ahead to the second part where he goes through the whole strategy, how it works, how to implement it. It is a brilliant, brilliant marketing strategy. The other thing you can do, which is quicker, but you are trusting other people's work, it is also free is go to Amazon. Go on Amazon and find books relating to the subject that you are asking about or the subject or the niche that you're interested in. So continuing with this example, go along to Amazon, search for books on growing roses. Then what you can do, and this works equally well for deciding on blog posts, social media stuff, any ideas that you want to put into that, go there and look at some books. Now on Amazon, what you can find is that often you can read the first few pages of the books. Choose the ones that have lots of stars that are well reviewed. But if you go there and you choose a book, you don't even need to buy it. What you need to do is you need to read the start of it. And on the start, there's always a contents page. And what you'll find is that often... The very problems that you can solve are listed on the contents page. And these books have been researched so that people know what they're talking about and they know the problems that need to be solved. So what you'll find is that you might open a book on growing roses. And the first thing it says is when to prune your rose bush. Then it will say how to keep your roses growing and alive through winter. The next one might be how to make sure your roses are really big and yeah so on there'll be more questions on there more subjects that you can explore more blog posts you can write more things that you can include in your marketing to target the people properly hopefully this has been helpful for you remember if you've enjoyed this podcast please do go on itunes rate it review it subscribe to it 
because that helps other people see it. And if other people see it, then they can listen to it as well, which is great. And also, if you want any more information on the show notes or anything, go over to becomingabusiness.com and you'll find the episode links there. This one will be becomingabusiness.com forward slash episode three. Keep it nice and simple. And I look forward to speaking to you next time. See you later.